0: Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Good morning. It is so good to be here. I've, uh, I've been to the Clam a number of times. I love the Clam, but you've never been home when I've been here. So it feels like I've visited your house a lot of times and just walked around in it, um, but sort of an Airbnb situation. Um, so it's wonderful to be with you this morning here at the Clam. Uh, some of you are old friends. It's wonderful to see you again. Some of you are perhaps new friends or just colleagues or acquaintances or I don't know. I'm, I, anyone's my friend really, but I know that not everyone's like that, so if you have a harder time building trust, we can just be whatever level of, you know. Uh, Well, this morning, um, the title of my little talk is There Are No Religious Experts, Just Children Playing Grown-Ups, and the passage in scripture is Luke chapter 10, verses 21 to 24, so if you want to read along, you can. But first, before we read it, just to give you a little bit of the backstory of Luke chapter 10, basically for a couple chapters now in the the book of Luke, Jesus has been uh, rolling with his 12 disciples, proclaiming the kingdom of God, healing people, casting out demons, really getting into the swing of things. And at the beginning of chapter 10, he sends out 72 people, So he's got his little crew and then he's kind of got this bigger crew, maybe a little bit like this room. He finds his 72 people and he says, you know, go out. And he kind of sends them out with these instructions, which sounds like he's basically telling them to be backpackers on a gap year. He's like, go find free accommodation and food. Go find people that will put you up and you just be a leech. And uh, if, if they welcome you, bring healing and peace and good vibes and hacky sacks and whatever. And um, if they don't welcome you, you can just wipe the dust from your feet and go and be a leech somewhere else. That's how it is. The European backpacker commissioning. Um, so anyway, sends out his 72. They go out and they are really pumped when they come back to Jesus because they're like, even the demons are listening to us. In your name. They're submitting in your name. And so we're seeing people healed. We're seeing demons cast out. You know, this awesome stuff is happening. And um, Jesus basically says to them, you know, get over the demon thing and instead be excited that your names are are written in heaven. Um, So rather than just obsessing over these kind of miraculous details, be excited about the fact that you're part of the kingdom of God coming um, on earth. And this is where we're going to pick up the story this morning. After they come back, they're all pumped. Jesus has this little kind of monologue slash dialogue moment, which is what we're going to read. So this is in Luke chapter 10 from verse 21. It says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, And revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So Jesus, kind of, I don't know, half of it's just him talking to himself. It seems like, and then he privately turns aside and gives his disciples a little bit of, a little bit of something. Um, But I wonder, like, upon hearing those words or looking at those words, you know, what are your kind of first impressions? What are the things you notice? Does it raise any questions for you or does anything stand out? For me, there's a couple things. The first thing I notice is that it seems like God has played an April Fool's joke and Jesus is really stoked about it. And uh, basically he's saying the kings and the prophets and the learned and the wise, they are like the punchline of the joke because they are the people we would expect to have access to all divine truth, and yet it seems like they're kind of finding out last. So the first thing I notice is it seems like God's kind of tricking people and happy about it. Jesus is full of joy, and God was pleased to do this, and I just kind of have some questions around this divine April Fool's joke. The second thing I notice in this little little section is that Jesus is making some sort of statement about this revelation that God is like Jesus. Uh, This whole father-son thing, the father and the son are kind of the same. And again, it sounds sort of like there's some secret knowledge becoming public, like there's something that was hidden that is being revealed. Um, So with these two themes in mind, first that, um, well, in the reverse order, God is like Jesus. Jesus. God is like Jesus and God is joyfully unconventional. God is kind of happy to do things in an unexpected way. I want to spend a little time exploring those themes and kind of going into a few questions around them this morning. So the two kind of main question areas I want to explore together are what's, what's the big deal with this father-son business? Um, what's you know, Jesus really getting at when he talks about how the father and the son are the same? And then the second kind of area of questions I have is what is with this upside down, you know, April Fool's joke way of revealing things that God has chosen? And some questions for me that come out of that are like, is God anti-wisdom? Is God anti-expert? Why is Jesus so stoked about what seems like the divine equivalent of like, hey, you want a high five? And then it's like God pulls back. That's kind of what it feels like has happened here to all these religious experts, so what's with that? So let's start, about, let's start with this kind of father-son stuff. Um, in the middle of this little section that I just read, Jesus is, is delighting in God's unexpected ways of doing things. And Jesus starts to bust out some Trinitarian theology. And he makes this statement. He says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, we probably just gloss over this, because if we've grown up in church, or even if we have any kind of basic understanding of what Christianity is, we kind of know that it's sort of basic Christian theology that Jesus and God are are one, that there's this kind of Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is confusing, let's be honest. It is confusing on the best of days. But we sort of have an understanding of this, that we might just skip over what Jesus said, and we're like, yeah, 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 you and... You and the Father, it's confusing, but we get it. You're one. Um, this was an unbelievable plot twist for the disciples and for all of the religious experts of the day. And I actually want to kind of say to us this morning that I think, in many ways, this is still a point that many of us can really easily miss. I have a little theory that a lot of harmful theology, a lot of bad religion, flows from the assumption that God has multiple personality disorder, and that Jesus is the part of God that we assign certain aspects of God's character, you know, compassionate, forgiving, socially radical, a little cheeky at times, probably wouldn't mind having a beer down at the Long Jetty Hotel. That's Jesus, And then in God the Father, we have a different set of attributes. God the Father appears to be strict and angry and judgmental and violent and a lot less fun to hang around, let's be honest. And I want to say that even if we get the kind of basic Christian Theology 101, I think many of us struggle with this multiple personality disorder God. Do you feel me? You ever ever feel this? Like, uh, is this the same dude? Like, what's going on here? Um, We may not say it this explicitly, but I think for many of us, when we read about Jesus in the Gospels and then we think about the God of the universe or the God revealed in other parts of Scripture, we see them in different lights. We think about them as somehow um, different personalities. And uh, what I want to say to you this morning, what I believe orthodox Christian theology has always insisted upon is that God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. And God will always be like Jesus. There's no personality disorder. And Jesus is not like a temporary disruption where it was like God was angry and violent and coercive over here and then becomes kind and sort of you know meek and mild for a moment and then is eventually going to become angry and violent and retributive again. No, like the revelation is that God has always been like Jesus and will always be like Jesus. There is no aspect of God's character that is not like Jesus. One of my uh, favourite verses in Scripture is Colossians 1.15, which says, The sun is the visible image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, which I think is this beautiful summary of Christian theology. Um, Jesus is having a conversation in John uh, chapter 14 verse 9 with Philip, and Philip says to, to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus responds, don't you know, Philip, even after I have been with you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I can imagine Jesus is kind of gently exasperated at this point, like, even after such a long time, don't you get it? Like, this is what God is like. I can imagine God having that conversation with me or with you sometimes, like, don't you get it? Even after such a long time, if you've seen me, you've seen what God is like. There's a guy I I love, a theologian writer named Bradley Jersak, and he puts it like this. God did not merely become Christ-like. God always, eternally has been. It's not just that Jesus is like God's more chilled out kid. It's that we thought God was more of a hard ass, if I can say that. And Jesus is a pleasant surprise that actually that is not the case. Jesus is our our clearest image of God. So if you want to know how does God treat people, it's like Jesus treats people. How does God love people like Jesus loves people? How does God transform people like Jesus transforms people? How does God judge people? Like Jesus does. But this was actually a, a huge surprise, right, to the first followers of Jesus who were Jewish people. They weren't evangelicals or Christians or Baptists. Um, they were Jewish people. And what they saw led them to reinterpret their story in the light of an unexpected Messiah. When Jesus talks about the kings and the prophets, longing to see what the disciples are seeing but didn't see it. It's a pretty significant statement because the story of the Hebrew Bible, which we sometimes refer to as the Old Testament, although I'm kind of coming to prefer the term the First Testament as a way of respecting our Jewish brothers and sisters, not just the old thing but the first kind of revelation of God. It's a story where many people had encounters with God many people seem to see or taste or have some sort of encounter with God. So when Jesus says this thing about the prophets and the kings, did you know they kind of longed to see what the disciples saw. It's a pretty significant statement because what he's saying is that their vision of God, anyone who had interactions with God in the past, that was a very limited version. It was a limited experience. They hadn't seen God the way that the disciples were able to when they stood in the presence of Jesus. And we think about how Jesus kind of rolls. When Jesus makes statements like in the Sermon on the Mount, he says things like, you have heard it said, but I say, it's an incredibly radical statement because Jesus is basically saying, according to the scriptures, according to tradition, according to our long religious history, you thought God was like this. But actually, God is like this. It's kind of like the whole of Jesus' life is that, right? You thought that God was like this, but actually, God is like this. This guy, Brad Jersak, who I mentioned before, he puts it like this. Rather than replacing Yahweh, the name for God in, in the Old Testament, with the Christ of the New, these authors in the New Testament They emphasize that Moses' revelation of God as the just judge, the law bringer, is being eclipsed by Jesus' greater revelation of God, the loving father, the gospel giver. They preach the same God, but through a different lens. With the restorative lens of Jesus and his glad tidings, Yahweh comes into focus as that gracious father whose judgments are mercy. Whatever maleficent images we see is the result of distorted vision, whether ours or the story's characters or their human narrators. I want to say to you that anytime you see a God who does not look like Jesus in the church, in scripture, in Christian tradition, there is some distortion happening. God always looks like Jesus. That's the gospel. I want to say this morning that sometimes our ideas about God relapse. From the earliest days of human religion, including in like the beautiful heritage of our ancient Judeo-Christian faith, human beings have always been prone to believe that God is angry, God is violent, God wants you know, our sacrifice, our blood, our you know, sort of violent allegiance. Um, we have a lot of images of God that are coercive, A lot of images of God that are always on the side of our tribe. And whatever tribe we happen to be in is the one that God is on the side of. It's not hard to see this God, even in the pages of our sacred texts. If you want to see this God there, the violent, angry, coercive God, you will not have a hard time finding images of this God there. Um, There's a lot of Christianity in the world today that continues to reassert this kind of understanding of God. It's the kind of understanding of God that gives you some sense of entitlement over the lives of others. It's the kind of understanding of God that strives to maintain power, to defend institutions, to make statements about who is in and who is out. It's the kind of understanding of God that builds walls and fences and barriers and purity codes. It's the kind of religion that is known more for who it is against than who it is for. Have you ever seen this? You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) But Jesus absolutely disrupts this way of thinking about God. Never more so than when Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God, is crucified by the church and the state and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. You know, it's interesting that in that moment, like Jesus didn't say, Father, forgive them if they pray the sinner's prayer. Father, forgive them if they ask for it. No, like Jesus is the God who says, even while they're missing the point, even while they are crucifying the divine, Father, forgive them. That is what God is like. God is like Jesus and has always been like Jesus. This is the revelation that the prophets and the kings did not get to see, but we have the opportunity to peer into if if we choose to. So if that is the case then why has God apparently made it so hard for the wise and learned ones to see this? Why has the kingdom of God been revealed to the children? Uh, What is with this kind of divine April Fool's joke vibe going on here? I'm particularly interested in this set of questions because I see potential readings of this passage of scripture that feed into a kind of anti-intellectualism that some brands of Uh, evangelical Christianity have become known for. You know, what can happen is we can read this in a kind of smart, smug, judgmental way where we think, I get it. I'm in on it. I'm one of the children who things have been revealed to. And anyone who disagrees with me, regardless of their intellect, regardless of their credentials, they're just the wise and learned ones that God is tricking. You can see how someone would take this principle to argue that despite what scientists claim to discover, God is just tricking us. You can see how someone could use this principle to discount the validity of experts and leaders in favour of just trusting what I think the Bible says. Do you ever see this happen? It's kind of like this weird little catch-22. It's very hard to argue with people when they've got this mindset. Um, So is God anti-intellectual? Is God anti-wisdom? Is God like against the experts of the world? Can we trust anybody? Um, I think there are a couple things worth, worth pointing out here. So first, Jesus is, is specifically in this instance and in other instances where these kind of verses pop up in Scripture. He's referring specifically to the divine revelation that God's surprising Messiah is going to bring about the kingdom of God through sacrificial love rather than like power from above. Um, no one saw that coming. That was an absolute surprise. Jesus is not speaking about science or technology or public policy. Um, so we should kind of be careful not to take this principle out of context. Uh, but even so, as I was thinking more about this, like why, why would God sort of appear to trick The wise ones, the experts, you know, these poor religious leaders, right? They spent their whole life memorizing the Torah, spent their whole life debating this stuff, and then they were just wrong about it. Like, that sucks. I mean, imagine going and doing a PhD, and then God's just like, sucked in. Um, But there's a difference between experts, right? I think there are two kinds of experts, both in religious spaces and otherwise, There's the expert who seems to claim to know all there is to know. And then there is the expert who realizes that the more they know, the more they know that they don't know. And when we assume, when we read something like this and we assume that we are like the children who get it, and anyone who we don't like are those people that don't get it, we're kind of actually asserting ourselves as the experts again. It's a bit of a circle here. It's like when you brag about being humble. It immediately breaks down. Um, I think we should be healthily sceptical of anyone who claims to have perfect theology or who claims they have like the single correct understanding of the gospel or the single way to read scripture. When we think we know exactly what God is like and what God is doing, then I think we are kidding ourselves and we are likely to miss God before our very eyes. And yet, when we have childlike curiosity and wonder and a posture of learning, I think we become a lot more likely to see God, even in the most unexpected places. In Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 3-4, Jesus says, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Is something about being not childish but childlike, something about being curious and open and, and, you know, filled with wonder about divine things. When I think about children, right, like the vocation, the calling, the place in the world of a child is just learning, um, and they do it through play. So, so my kids are homeschooling, which I know immediately probably raises all sort of judgments about the weird people that we are, I've, I've had all these judgments about ourselves. Um, but at first, right, I thought that homeschooling would mean a lot of extra work, and I want to acknowledge to any teachers in the room, teaching, teaching is an incredible job. I have so many wonderful friends who are teachers, they do an enormous amount of work. But I think even teachers in the room would agree that if we take a small child, actually the work is often in how we, we somehow teach them to stop being curious. We somehow teach them to stop viewing the world through wonder. Like, naturally... Children just are learning by being. It's their way of being. It's their vocation. Um, And like I said, they do it through play and exploration. Did you know that the word disciple, which we make a big deal about sometimes in church, the word disciple literally means learner or student. And sometimes the idea of being or making disciples sounds really religious, and it sounds kind of like creating Jedi Masters, But how liberating is the thought that to be a disciple is just to be a learner? You don't have to be a master or an expert. Um, Imagine if we learned the way of Jesus. I know Benj talks a lot about the way of Jesus, creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. Imagine if we learned the way of Jesus like children, curiously exploring, approaching our spirituality as the place of play, And discovering God in every texture and sound and smell and face we encounter. Even those who achieve expertise or wisdom in certain fields, like the ones who do this most effectively, never stop viewing themselves as learners. Um, Real expertise actually creates humility. Real discovery, like a real taste of what God is like, um, or to lead us to a very humble faith where we are all delighted learners that we get to play rather than being masters who know how it all works. So I think that when we read this little passage, Jesus is so delighted about God's kind of unexpected revelation because God has a soft spot for for the humble, for the open, for the curious. Like if you exhibit these characteristics, I think God is delighted Um, The opposite of these characteristics is to be proud, is to be closed, is to be cynical. And in all honesty, I don't think God can really do anything with these. Um, When we are proud and closed and cynical, we have closed ourselves off to growth and possibility and change. Um, And I don't believe that God forces people or coerces people. So I think that if that's the way that we are in the world, God respectfully allows that. But if we want to be transformed and changed by God, then it starts with being open, soft, curious, wondering. So I think the point isn't to be anti-expert or anti-wisdom or anything like that. It's to recognise that when we stop pretending to know more than we actually do, when we acknowledge our limitations, when we recognise our place as children at the Father's table... I think we might come to see a whole lot that kings and prophets long to see. We might come to see Jesus sitting around the table with us in the ordinary places of our lives. So to wrap up this morning, uh, I didn't need to say all that. I could just say these couple sentences. Um, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus and will always be like Jesus. But this is unexpected, and you will only see it if you stop pretending to be a religious expert and become like a curious child. Then you may come to see with joy and delight that God is remarkably different to what we and our ancestors have often conceived God to be like. Let me finish with uh, a few beautiful sentences from Rachel Held Evans on this point. She says, Jesus sees things differently. Our God, he says, works not through the traditional human mechanisms of power, control and military might, but rather through suffering, sacrifice and servanthood. This kingdom will not come through powerful armies riding in on their prized warhorses, but by way of a singular saviour lumbering in on the back of somebody else's donkey and sitting atop somebody else's cloak. This king's reign will be marked not by demonstrations of brute force or acts of terror, but by gestures of healing and whispers of mercy, touches of tenderness and waves of grace. This people's enemies will not be vanquished. They will be loved." You know, Sometimes our ideas about God relapse, but for me as a follower of Jesus, I come back to this very unexpected revelation of what God is like, and I want to be a kid playing and exploring that space forever. Let me pray for you. God, thank you that you were um, delighted to reveal this unexpected truth um, of what your character is really like. Thank you that As we read about Jesus and the way he treats people and loves people and restores people, um, we see an image of what you are like. Thank you, God, that you do not have multiple personalities. Um, Thank you that we can trust the good news that you are like Jesus. And I pray that you would give us the soft, curious hearts of children, um, that anything we become expert in would only lead us to know how much we don't know. I pray that we would be humble learners together with eyes to see the things we might have missed right before us. Amen.